You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time for Seminole Headlines, featuring Warchant.com's Jeff Cameron, Managing Editor Ira Chauffel, and Senior Writer Corey Clark. Your weekly dose of all things FSU, Pistols and Pies, starts right now. Here's Jeff Cameron. Hour number two, Seminole Headlines, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and Warchant TV. Headliner questions about to come your way here momentarily. First, though, let's say thanks to Birch Orthodontics. Dr. Birch doing all that she can to save the Cameron and Chauffel children. Uh, a world of crooked teeth. No, straight, beautiful teeth as they walk out there boldly securing their futures. And you can go there to knowing that you're getting the best in care. All the options imaginable, such as saving money, uh, long-term payment plans, all that good stuff. We're talking about Birch Orthodontics, Dr. Birch, who uh, no doubt will be celebrating probably what we got a doubleheader tonight. Oh, we guys against JU. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Four and seven, buddy. Four and seven. Well, she's a, uh, she's a huge, huge baseball fan. And on the last two times I've run into her, which is rather frequent, probably more frequently than I'd like. Right. Um, right. But, uh, but not because I don't love her. I do. It just means I'm at the orthodontics office. Uh, but uh, that said, she's always going to the baseball game. So here, here to baseball. Uh, speaking <laughs> of which, speaking of which, go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, just make sure that the super chats keep coming in, everybody, because it goes to the Cameron Schofel Birch Fund. So there That's you right. go. That's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> that seems about right. Uh, so, hey, a fun week for the baseball team. Very predictable. Uh, they played two bad teams, and they went two and two. Yeah, and they got shut out in one of the games and then uh, lost to uh, – scored two scored a grand total of two runs in the first game at Boston College. Hey, but they answered resoundingly so with 18 runs over the next two games, Corey. So, Suck it, know. Eagles. Yeah, get you some of that. Get you some of that. So now, now vaunted JU, who beat, uh, of course, Florida State earlier this year. Um, not a great team. That might mean that uh, we got back-to-back losses tonight. Can you predict anything? You can't. Not with that team. You can't predict anything. Some of, it is, some of it is baseball. Because I think I should point out the Pirates dominated the Dodgers last night. Five to one. Game was never competitive. Right. Los Angeles Dodgers, top to bottom, were outclassed and embarrassed in a game in which I think they mustered three or four hits. What are you going to do? It is the Mighty Pirates. Right. But that is, oddly enough, uh, baseball as a sport. So there is a little of that. And then there's also the ID that is this team, the identity of this team, which is that uh, they can be really good and not good at all. Mm. Yeah, I'm feeling a three and two week, a three and two week where they split today. They take two or three from Miami at home. And that seems about on brand. And what that would do is put them on the brink of being a 
top 16 national seed, maybe getting to host a regional. Correct. Yeah, I, I, I have said all year long that I know it's not a popular take to have on a show in which you're given uh, the responsibility of having an opinion about Florida State athletics and really pretty much anything that you bring up. I don't know what to make of the baseball team, man. They do a lot of things terribly, uh, and they do some other things uh, superbly, and they are capable of beating anybody in a series in the country, and I, that includes Tennessee and anybody else you want to name. They're also capable of getting beat uh, very quickly by teams ranked in the hundreds. Yeah, I, that, that's who they are. I think that is an apt descriptor. I think the season has laid that bare. Am I not? I mean, I think that's spot on. That's who they are. Right when you would go off on them, and Corey, I know at one point we all did on some of the headlines when they had lost six of seven or whatever it was, and we were like, well, this is this is impossible. They strike out. They don't pick up the baseball. They don't run the bases very well. Their pitching isn't as good as it was cracked up to be coming into the season, et cetera, et cetera. They turned right around and dominated two really good teams and showed why they were well thought of and why that front end pitching is gives them a chance in any given series. And, and that was a week where they picked up the baseball and they actually hit it as well. So it's hard to know. I agree. I, they're terrible on the road. They have been all year. That's a weird thing to not to go to Stetson after playing as well as you did that weekend against TCU to go to Stetson and get what two hits get shut out by a bad Stetson. That's not even a good Stetson team, whatever that would look like. It's a bad Stetson team, and you got shut out. And, and then the next game at Boston, another bad team, you scored two runs in the first and nothing else. You went 18 innings and scored two runs total um, after what you did against TCU. That's not – I don't know that that's normal because it's one thing to get dominated by good pitching. All good all good teams can do that. But to get dominated by bad pitching just makes you think – it just – it comes back to the hitting. But it's fine. It's fine. They could they could host a regional. They could win a regional. And then, yeah, you like you'd feel okay with them against anybody in a super regional. Yes, because of that starting pitching, they can't win in Omaha. They could win a game in Omaha. They're not built to win a national championship because. So this offense... is where we get into the extremes with everybody's opinion. I know David, you weigh in on a regular basis, and I appreciate you watching and listening to the program. You hate Mike Martin Jr. and you hate Florida State baseball as it's currently constructed. I get it. There's nothing that they can do that would ever make you happy. If they go to the College World Series, you're going to say they suck. They very well may go to the College World Series, and sometimes they suck. That's who they are. I mean, that is – and that's who they were late in Eleven's career as well. Yeah. Uh, the team that went out to Omaha was, for the most part that season, the one that went on the road at basically uh, the haven of greatness uh, in Baton Rouge, which is LSU. Uh, that team that went to the College World Series by winning in that location and that hostile environment wasn't any good all year long. That might have been but, the worst team he ever had. Yeah. Really, there since they he were. was at Florida and, State. And there they were. So my point is, also I would point out, they don't stink. Uh, they're top 23 in the RPI, top 21 in the RPI. They're not a juggernaut team that I would project to go to the World Series. They're not a team that I think can win the World Series. They're not a, They're not one of Florida State's better teams that we've seen in the last 30 years, 20 years. But they don't stink. They don't stink. Period. I think the concern is, I would think, with this baseball program, and we'll get to questions in a second, guys. There might be some baseball questions in there, if there are any questions at all. But uh, but. Where, why is the offense like this? Why is the offense – it used to be top 10 in the country in runs scored. It used to be top top one in walks. And now it's middle of the road in walks, and it is last in the ACC in runs scored. And that 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 just doesn't yeah. – comp- after not being very good last year offensively, and that was with the best catcher in the country, hitting home run two home runs every weekend, you lose him, and now you have one of the – literally one of the worst offenses in the Power Five. 
um, and the worst offense in your own conference. That doesn't make sense. And there is a little hope moving forward because your two best hitters are probably those two freshmen. But after that, you know, there's a lot of Lacey, Albert, Terrell, they're all gone. Can it, what's going on with the hitting? Is he going to bring in guys that can hit? Because this is absurd, the way this offense has kind of gone up and down and mostly down. Well, they don't have a lot of power, but you point to the two freshmen, and those are elite players. I think Tibbs is a superstar, period. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, great. His swing and, is great. Yeah, and it's one of the most beautiful swings in college baseball. I would argue, if I were arguing the other side, if I were going to be a big supporter and say, I'm all in on what this offense will be in two and three years, the argument that you would make, and by the way, I'm somewhere in the middle on this, just so people know, because I have my criticism uh, of, of Mike Martin Jr. and what this team is currently. I've been complaining for seven years about how bad they are defensively and how terrible they are running the bases, and that is coaching. There's no excuse for them to be this bad running the bases year in and year out. So anyhow, the point is I can criticize as well as uplift. But what, what I would argue is that at the end of Mike Martin's career, the last five to six years, certainly, they were, they were a man short when it came to a coaching staff on the road recruiting because he wasn't. So you were kind of doing this with one arm tied behind your back. And what Meat would tell you, I think, is that that allowed you to construct a roster that was competitive but not elite. And so when he finally got control of the team – then he thought, I've got to flip this roster. Some of the chances we had to take uh, aren't working out. We, you know, we got too much swing and miss there, and we're going to move on from that. But you don't flip a roster in two seasons. And so he's got guys he could point to that are part of the younger class that he feels very good about, that long-term project as great hitters, and other guys that he brought in to fill the roster. Now, I know the counter to it, Corey, and I'm with you because you can look at some guys that have gone elsewhere, and they're hitting now. So that's a yeah. fair counterpoint. I'm just saying it's a little bit more nuanced than they are all this or all that and he's why or he's right or wrong. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. It will be curious to see, though. I think the jury is obviously still out. I mean, we have to find out. What if what if they go to the College World Series this year? None of us would be stunned. None no. of us would be stunned if they went to the College World Series. If you go to the College World Series and you're one of the last eight teams standing, it's a aren't successful you by definition? Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Yeah, and I think – oh, go ahead, Corey. No, go ahead, Tom. We've talked too much. Well, I was going to say that, you know, a, a regional, I think, is the higher hurdle to climb. I think it's less surprising if they win a super regional. It's more surprising if they were to win a, a standard regional. And the question is, if you're hosting, then who would you start on Friday? Because you got to get cute a little bit to save Messick. You know, if it was – if the pitching staff looked like we thought it was going to look in February, it wouldn't matter who you threw on Friday because you got two arms right behind them. But that's not the case now. And then the thing I'd say about this particular team is when they're going bad in the batter's box, and I go back to the interview that you had with Mike Martin Jr. here on Warchant TV and the JCS at the beginning of the year, he talked about how going to all fields took some time in terms of mentality on the roster. Like, he had to break them almost, that they didn't believe in the system. They didn't believe in the way of, uh, you know, using the entire field, either in the infield or the outfield, to spray the baseball around. And once he got them to embrace that, then you're going to see the results. Well, I don't think that's borne out through this season, when you see the slumps going, these guys look wound tight. These at-bats look very in-between, and it looks like guys are just wound very, very tight, more afraid of failure than attacking the baseball. So that's the thing. What offense are you going to see? Because they are streaky. I, I, I don't know who it was in the, uh, in the chat. They're very yeah, streaky. Chris, yeah, Chris bought that, that they're streaky. Yeah, I mean, they can get hot, but when they're not going right, it looks more mental than anything else, and that's the thing that I would be worried about. 
Uh, and maybe that's worth levying criticism when the season's over. But we'll see. They might get on a hot streak towards yeah, the end really of the season. Really quick, and I'll get to questions. We've got plenty of time to get to questions because there aren't that many. But, Corey, one thing I will say to Tom's point, and I wonder if you have the same observation. I know you watch intently, so that's why I'm asking you. Um, did you notice after they went on that terrible stretch where they couldn't do anything right offensively and to, uh, I think, compound the problem, they also weren't picking up the ball. But one thing to note, it's almost as Meat said, screw it, guys, go have fun. And they went out and played their best brand of baseball. He even said, I think, in the press conference where he said that he just simplified everything yeah. and just said, you know, let's go, just go play some baseball. To Tom's point, I mean, I, meat is wound tight. Did we lose? Yeah. Did we lose Jeff? Tom, we may have. So he's wound tightly. Was his point? Is is meat and his personality uh, making its way onto the onto the dugout, into the batter's box, and obviously uh, overall in the offensive? Uh, there he is. He's back. When they, are they slumping because their coach is tight and they're an extension of their coach, I think was his question. Yeah, I, that, that was my point is players are often an extension of their coach, and he is wound tightly. And only after he was forced to kind of take a step back and say, hey, guys, just go play baseball. We're better than this. Did they play well? I don't know how you cultivate that, but he, he probably needs to. Yeah, and you look, man, they, they've got some guys. Like the carry-on kid, uh, he had a nice tear there. Brett Roberts was really good this weekend. Terrell. He is what he is, but he might hit you a couple home runs in a weekend. He's your only legitimate power threat other than Tibbs, I would say. Um, and then Tibbs and Ferrer, uh, Ferrer are very good. They're going to be – that's going to be an incredible one-two duo if they keep developing. So there's some stuff there to like. It's just – again, I, I think it comes back to this offense going from what it used to be to now being the worst team and the worst offense in the ACC is is staggering. It's, it's just alarming. But it might just be a, a two-off. It might just be – a new coach, new system, trying to rebuild a roster in the middle of COVID. This is why this hitting lineup looks this way. But again, he, you know, next year it needs to be better, I think. And I, and I don't think either any of us would be surprised if they went 0-2. And I don't think any of us would be stunned if they made it to Omaha. Because that's how this season is borne out. They have lost to some awful teams, and they have swept some good teams and beaten some great teams. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they won this series against Miami at all. I also wouldn't be surprised if they got swept this today by Jacksonville. That's just where we are with this baseball team, I think. Sean writes, Corey said something a few weeks ago that I completely agree with. Montgomery did an excellent job in closing against Louisville. What reason would we not be using him now? I don't get it. This is still an obvious weak spot for this team. Agreed. I, I You're not getting from Carson Montgomery. By the way, Wyatt Crowell right now is maybe the second best pitcher on the team behind Messick. He has been awesome. Um so I don't know that you you probably like him in the long relief spot, but why 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 keep going to Crowell in the fifth when you're already down and you've given up two or three runs? Why not start the guy on Saturday? He's your Saturday starter. Carson Montgomery was electric the two times he closed. He was throwing 97 with nasty stuff. You have him and Hare back-to-back. Now all of a sudden you're talking about a leap back into the bullpen, and Scalaro scoots down a little bit in the in, in the order, which is good for everyone. Um, so if you have those two guys as your back-end guys to go along with Messick and Hubbard and Crowell's no slouch out there, that's a really good top five. I, I don't know. I think you get more out of Montgomery pitching him twice a weekend or twice in a super regional or regional than for four innings in the middle of the series. I just think he gives you more this year. I know he wants to be a starter, make him a starter next year. This year, I think he helps the team more as a closer. Yeah, to me, this reeks of a situation where, you know, the kid projects as something and you want to protect that, but you've also, I mean, it's May, it's May yeah. and it hasn't happened for him this year. So, you know, 
Where can he make the biggest impact? You know, bad film is bad film to the pros. And if you keep starting midweek or whatever it is and, and you have uneven results, that's not going to do you any good. But if you show explosiveness in the eighth or the ninth innings, uh, to Corey's point, and you are throwing 96, 97, and you're missing bats, well, that's good film. So, you know, scouts are going to think higher of you, and then they'll show up, more of them will, to your starts next season. So, yeah, for the purposes the of this first team, he's got to be the closer, I think. Well, at the end of the day, all scouts are looking at is stuff. They're going to make you whatever they want to make you when, when, when you go on to the minors. Uh, whether they're going to convert you to a starter or a closer or a middle reliever, doesn't matter. A lefty specialist, whatever, although there are lesser than those guys than, than ever before because of the new rules. But it's about stuff, and he's got stuff, and he can show it off when he's only got a pitch an inning. Right. Um, and, and you see that. And I think that's to the point that we're all making here is that let him be at his best, which seems to be missing bats, throwing 97, 98 um, with a secondary pitch that he can also throw for a strike. So uh, we'll see. College baseball is weird. It's different than pro baseball. You do see this happen all the time. You get into the postseason and some guys roles change every now and again. It's not ideal. I know in pro baseball, that's not the way they want to do it, but they do it in college baseball on the regular. Some of the headlines, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV continues in a moment. Ho, 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 horizons, it took, bar and grill. It took all the strength I had not to interrupt you, turn <laughs> off your mic, and go home. Do you like how I closed my eyes when I sang? Too? Oh, believe me, that was the best part. <laughs> I didn't look at it, thankfully. It was unbelievable. He looked like, like Al Jarreau or something. He's <laughs> <laughs> like Luther Vandross. Well, he was reference. making sure it was there. I want to apologize to Horizon Sports Bar and Grill. Uh, their delicious food uh, should not be overlooked by Corey's singing, Man, that's distracting a great you jingle from game. the restaurant itself. Uh, but Horizons Bar and Grill is where, Ira? Bannerman Crossing. You're damn right North it is. East Tallahassee Ooh. off Thomasville Road and Bannerman Road. It's uh man, it's just it's incredible food, incredible people, incredible beer. It's where we are a lot. We're, hey, before a, the end of the group. week, fellas, uh, any week, like you could be listening to this six weeks from yeah. now. Let's let's all get together at Horizons Bar and Grill. We're there a lot. We really are. So if you want to see this in person, this trio, <laughs> never in mind person, the food. You get to see the three of us. But yeah, the food and the the drinks, the the patio, it's all good, man. It's all working. If it's you, all working. At and Horizons. if you sing the theme song, they'll give you some free food. I think. I think you get the bill is paid for if you sing the song, but with, you have to sing it like I do. With, and tell them Corey's saying with a bar tab. Yes, it's amazing. Correct. It's incredible. It's it incredible. Keeps growing. They're yes. so kind. Seminal Headlines returns now. Head to YouTube and search for War Chant TV today to catch the show live or on demand. Now, here's Jeff Cameron, Ira Chofel, and Corey Clark. Seminal Headlines, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Good to be with you. Head more headliner questions. Let's get to them here. I'll start rapid firing these things. What specific positions will we be highly competitive once what what? Excuse me. What specific positions will be highly competitive once fall camp starts? Uh, he wants our opinion. Position groups, cornerback, running back, uh, offensive line, you name it. Um, I think that other corner is probably uh, as high on the list as any of them, right? I mean, we, we know across from Duke, there's it, there's going to be a lot of competition there. Yeah, I would say that. I'd say that one, um, wide receiver. I mean, there's, there's, there's not – I think we think Pittman and Pokey – are two mainstays. They're going to be starters, but that other third spot, there'll be some, there'll be a lot of competition for that and running back. I mean, I think the difference is we know Ward and Benson are both going to play. Yeah. But who, so I don't even know if it matters really who the starter is necessarily, but it will be a pretty interesting competition. I assume, I assume Ward will start if he's healthy, but who gets the most carries throughout the season? I think that'll be really interesting to monitor. Yeah. You could see a situation in which Ward starts 10 games out of the 12 and yet Benson has, you know, 
30% more touches than Trayshawn just because of what Benson brings versatility-wise. I think the offensive line, obviously, there's going to be battles in the interior. If you look center all the way to right tackle, I mean, you could shuffle four or five names right now, maybe three or four, uh, that could fit any one of those positions. I've brought it up a lot lately on, on all the formats here on Warchant, but Cade Lyles is going to be one of the players I watched the most in fall camp because he just didn't – it's an incomplete grade for what you saw in the spring. And if he's at center, then a big domino falls and, and other things fall into place. But if he's not, then, you know, you got to start looking at the two deep and scratching your head and saying, where the heck does FSU go? I'm sure he'll end up being the starter, but you got to prove it. And then there are other p- uh, positions like – does Bless Harris end up at right guard or right tackle? Is Darius actually a right guard? So the O-line has a lot to shuffle out as well. I'll be pinned to the O-line the whole time. I always am. I think it's the number one thing that keeps you from being a good team. You might be a slightly above average team uh, with, with a modicum of improvement there. But if, if you don't get a lot better there and deeper to withstand the injuries that happen in the trenches every year to almost all football teams – and you really can't excel. They're one player going down for a couple weeks away from losing a game they shouldn't lose. They don't really have a starting five that I love, but they sure as hell don't have six or seven that I love. So, uh, I mean, Bless Harris, basically, you just admitted it, Tom, is going to have to start. They didn't bring him in to start. He was going to be a backup. But now I think he has to start. He's one of your best five. Uh, I think we now know that a couple of guys that they thought would take a step forward this past spring camp kind of didn't. Let's be honest, they didn't. Uh, Caden Lyles is a guy that I need to see rep a lot once fall camp starts because he sure as hell didn't do it in spring. Now he's got the body for it and we all saw that, but I need him to play. Uh, and I also think they need to get that kid from Charlotte that Atkins has experience with that. Maybe they're talking about bringing in, in the transfer portal, um, to add some depth there. If you go back and look at his film, he's not terrible. He could help this team. He could be that group of six or seven that we talk about. So that's going to be highly competitive on the offensive line. And, and they need to get more bodies in here for that. I feel like a broken record. I talk about it incessantly because I think it's the most pressing need. Yeah. Cool Thomas, if they did it. Be cool if they actually did it. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. frustrating. The one body that could emerge out of nowhere and the coaches are so high on him and they keep talking him up in spring as he gets healthier is Thomas Schrader. And, and if Schrader ends up being able to be at a level that's conditioned, you know, he's conditioned enough to play most of practice or give you 20 or 30 reps a game, then he could emerge as an option in the interior of the O-line that helps other things shuffle. But you just can't count on it. And I feel like with four or five of those dudes on the O-line, it's either you, can't, you cannot count on them because there are mental hurdles to climb or health hurdles to climb. It's like uh, It's like Major League. Everybody's got an arm thing or a leg thing or a head thing. But uh, maybe they dip it to the portal and get one or two guys. If Somebody they do, in the chat asked, uh, Glenn asked, more pressure on Dugans or Fuller this year, and I think it's Ron Dugans. Uh, they tried to basically move on from Dugans, in my opinion, um, this offseason. They, they couldn't. Uh, and so I think that uh, another poor year from the receiving core. Uh, the, the biggest problem he has beyond the fact that that group, that segment group doesn't produce anything <laughs> – um, is he also doesn't do a good job of recruiting that segment group. That's a deadly combination. It's a double whammy. So, some refer to that as a double whammy. Yeah, that is uh, disastrous right. is another descriptor, is to have a guy that's not coaching them to excel on the field nor bringing in players of any kind that would allow for that to happen. Uh, all right, so we move forward with Matt's question. Any updates on the state of FSU basketball? Uh, did John Butler, did John Butler leave anybody else leaving? Do we need to know about people leaving? No. Right. 
I mean, nothing is like official official yet, but you know, don't be surprised if John Butler isn't on the team anymore. I, I would I would go ahead and say that. Right. And you know, I know I know Jeff, you've talked about it. It's a it's a precarious moment in Florida State basketball. It really yeah. is. You lost a really really important assistant coach. Um, you did not bring in a recruiting class that is up to the standards you've set over the last five years. They might end up all being great, sure, but you're used to bringing in one five star every year: a Scotty Barnes, a Matthew Cleveland. Dwayne Bacon, on and on. Jonathan Isaac, that didn't happen with this class. You were in on some, none of them said yes to you. Might have something to do with maybe what other other schools were offering legally um, to come play for them that you weren't. But either way, you don't, and you just wonder, you know, Cleveland and Mills are back. That's a good combination, but not a lot of, like, veteran experience. Um, you just You just wonder, is this, is this going to be like a plateau? Is 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 what happened last year going to become the norm, or was it an aberration? And it's a legitimate worry right now because of the roster makeup right now, the fact they did not have a, a great recruiting class building on what they had done the last five years, and then losing CY like they did. I, I trust Leonard to get it done, but you can understand why there'd be some concern there. It's the beginning of the end for Florida State basketball in the Leonard Hamilton era. Uh, I think we're watching the final stages of a brilliant career. Uh, Leonard will always uh, rank highly in my mind as uh, an all-time great in Florida State lore, uh, and in college basketball has been better because he's been in it uh, for as long as he has. Uh, I don't have a long-term belief that things are pointing in the right direction right now. Uh, as much as I love him, I think uh, the, the devastating losses of uh, two top-tier assistants over the last five years uh, who helped keep your staff young, uh, helped you in recruiting, uh, I think it's going to be too much to overcome. I don't like the roster. Uh, I think they're in trouble, Corey, to, to piggyback on what you said. I don't think they're going to be a top four or five ACC team this year. I uh, would be surprised if they were top seven, frankly. And uh, I think that we all should start to, to take a look around and see what's going to happen with Florida State basketball. It doesn't mean that he hasn't elevated the program to a place where it's now a more desirable job for a lot of uh, high-profile coaches and, and guys that might make a, a major difference and propel this thing forward even more. I think they got screwed in the COVID year. I think they were a Final Four team. Uh, I think they had a chance, a legitimate chance, to play for a national title. And I'm forever saddened for Coach Hamilton and those players and Florida State basketball fans forever that that didn't get the uh, the, the chance that it deserved. Uh, nobody's fault. It's a pandemic. But I think that team could have won it all. And we'll never know. And I don't think they're going to ever get close to being back there as they're currently constructed. So, and I, I'm not as down on the roster as you are. I mean, Cameron Fletcher is a good player if he if he gets more mature, which he should. I mean, it's college basketball. Caleb Mills is a good scorer. Matthew Cleveland could be awesome. And Jalen Worley, I liked what I saw to him. McLeod had moments. Like there, there are guys on this team that you feel good about. It's just you don't have, and you really didn't have it last year because Malik was hurt. You don't, the, the beauty about Florida State is the culture that it is instilled there. And I don't mm -hmm. know who the culture givers are because your best players are all second-year guys. And you don't have a Trent Forrest or an MJ Walker or a Malik Osborne to kind of carry on the torch and show you what it means to play Florida State basketball. And that stuff matters, man, especially on a small team, a 15-person team. It really does matter. And, you, and, and you're losing a lot of guys that have been around for a lot of success. And these guys that are here now, most of them, are used to watching Wyatt Wills get punched in the stomach and lose by 30 and not do anything about it. That's the team they grew, That's the team they played for. They didn't play for Trent Forrest Duncan on it, on Jordan Nora. That wasn't their Florida State. So they don't know they don't have that in their blood yet and 
they have to go make their own culture almost. And that's what I worry about. But the talent-wise, the roster's good, man. The roster's fine if they stay healthy. It's just, you know, that's a big if, number one. And Yeah, but, but Corey, I think that's fleeting, and I think you believe that yeah. too because yeah. NIL I, is going to be – that's going to be a problem for them. Competing. It's going to be hard to get the Matthew Clevelands of the world to come here after this. That's what I'm, that's what I'm concerned about the most, yeah. Yeah, I think believe Leonard Hamilton. He told the truth when he said he was bothered by the new system. That means yeah. that he's not down with it, and maybe there are some corners that can't be cut, you know, just because you don't have the resources. And then, you know, one player in particular is Caleb Mills. He needs to look more like a Florida State guard. He needs to look tougher this next year. You need to be mentally tougher and physically tougher. Sometimes contact's not a bad thing. Trent Forrest has proven that time and time again. And if you're trying to instill that culture, you've got to have toughness from the guy who has the ball bringing it up the court the whole time, and he's just not tough enough. He's not tough enough, and that's not going to happen overnight. Seminole Headlines, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV continues in a moment. Hey, headliners and elite headliners. It's Ira here, and it's time to talk Shopify. As you remember, a couple of years ago, we wanted to create and sell headlines merch for the best podcast listeners in the world. That's you. But we had no idea where to get started. Now we're selling Yay Sausage shirts, and it's so easy, all because we use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're a startup working out of your man cave or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to grow your business without all the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. You could be selling Don Julio socks from Shopify's in-person point of sale system or offering headliner shirts from Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform. Whatever you need, you're covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love most about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase, and they'll help you grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Go to shopify.com slash warchant. Seminole Headlines is brought to you by Register Sausage, serving the Florida Panhandle and Lower Alabama for over 75 years. To find a store near you or to buy directly from Registers, head to registermeats.com. That's registermeats.com. Seminole Headlines returns now. Head to YouTube and search for War Chant TV today to catch the show live or on demand. Now, here's Jeff Cameron, Ira Chauffel, and Corey Clark. One long, meaty segment. To close out the show here, everybody, in, in honor of Register Sausage. <laughs> so meaty. Yeah. So meaty. Long, meaty segment here, guys. Here we go. Question from the boards, by the way. Should make a note of this. The Tribal Jeff. Council. Yes, uh, okay. I believe right. so. Tom, is this from the Tribal Council? It is indeed. You know, one of these days, I, I've, I've made one comment on the Tribal Council since working for War Chant, and it was in response to somebody saying you did a good job filling in for me when I was sick. Oh, <laughs> and well, I, wrote, I, appreciate, I appreciate you took the time. So you have a handle. I didn't know that. You have a handle? You didn't see my follow-up. It was the spring game weekend when you had to fill in uh, for like 19 hours because uh, I was sick laying in bed. Uh, and missed the spring game. Corey is about going in and out of here. What's going on with his Wi-Fi Can you, now? That was crazy. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, we yeah, got that, that was nuts. So, so somebody said Tom did a great job filling in, and I was like, I wrote, yes, he did, and that's that's the one comment I've made on the truck. <laughs> well, I'll be sure to point that out to Gene next time he asks if you're ever going to yeah. comment. On yeah, the board. Jeff will be. You'll be like, yeah, Jeff did it that one time. Remember, yeah, he did. He's commented before. He was very positive. <laughs> he filled uh, his most quota for the year. He's done. Yeah. He's, he's in. Uh, I wanted to respond to a question you were asked last week. Would you rather have an all-expense-paid trip to Hawaii or FSU baseball win a national title? I answered that before. He went on to say, "Well, I would love for FSU baseball to get a natty, but I also just got back from a mostly all-expense-paid trip to Hawaii, and man, it was nice." So my question for everybody is where is your favorite vacation spot that you've been to and where would you like to go to that you haven't Corey, uh hawaii you can start is, hawaii is my favorite vacation spot i went there uh, for my honeymoon shout out shanna it was a great eight years they can never take it away from us um <laughs> <laughs> i think it was eight it might have been like <laughs> who knows who knows how long it was. It was somewhere in that range. Yeah. But uh, went to Maui for my uh, for my anniversary. It was awesome. It was a great, it was an awesome place. It, it's not even like the real world when you're out there. It's like it, it's just surreal that there's a place like that that exists theoretically in this country. I mean, I know Thank it's you. our country, but it's the 50th state. Come on, man. It doesn't feel like uh, this country because it's so far away, but it is, and it was unbelievable. Yes, where uh, I'd like that- to go is Austin. Well, you missed you missed your window. Austin was once great. It is now fading fast, like so many other cities that get overrun by way too many people and horrific traffic. Well, right, but still, I'm going to do it, Jeff. I'm going to drive. I can drive to Austin, and I'm going to drive yeah. to Austin. No, you should go to Austin. You should go to Austin. Yeah, I was um, going to say, is there a land bridge to Hawaii that I'm not aware of? From no, California? I flew. I flew. I wasn't happy about it. I was convinced the plane was going to go down the night before we got on it. I was convinced. I told. Shanna, like I, it, I, I hope you're happy. Hope you're happy you picked this because we're all we're gonna die, and that's not gonna be a good honeymoon at all. But it worked out. It worked out. We flew. We we landed, and uh, we landed safely both times. That would have cemented the marriage forevermore, though. That's you right. Those two young lovers <laughs> holding hands as they crashed into the Pacific. Yeah. <laughs> My question is: Would you have been holding hands, or would you have been going? I told you. I oh. told. I, I, I would have been running up and down the aisles just slapping people. <laughs> this is why flying is ridiculous. Like One, ridiculous. Mistake. <laughs> One mistake and it's all over. Somebody didn't yeah. screw in the bolt. I That's hope you're it. happy. The wing fell off. Uh, the favorite place that I've been to, uh, there are several, but I, I really, uh, speaking of honeymoons, uh, we went to Ireland and, um, and we drove uh, basically the entirety of the island. And I uh, was there for 10 days, and it was awesome. And uh, so that I would say Ireland. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, and, and then where would I want to go? Uh, Maldives. I want to go to the Maldives. I've mm. wanted to go there for a long time. Um, it's, you know, if it wasn't a, like a 19-hour plane ride, uh, then I would probably be going there sooner rather than later. But, yeah, I want to go to the Maldives, and I, I want to yeah, do like it That's up there. where a lot of uh, NBA players go for their vacations. That's not a bad place to go. About a lot, yeah, yeah. I'd like to do that. So, uh, Tom, quickly, yours. Uh, you know, nothing really pops to mind. I've had a lot of good vacations, but there's not one that I'm like, that's the place that I was at my happiest. Uh, the places to go to would be Ireland, though. I, I really, really want to see Ireland, and I want to play golf out there. I think it would be phenomenal. Uh, it would be, and uh, also, uh, I, my brother lived in Australia. Uh, for a while, and Australia is an incredible place. Also, Ryan weighs in on the chat here that Croatia is amazing, and you know what? 
a buddy of mine was in the military for 18 years and served and was in Croatia. And yes, that I, I, he said the same. So everybody's weighing in now. That's a beautiful thing. All right, let's get some more questions here. Um, Nicholas wants to know on the subject of softball, what is a good bunting technique? I see players taking two steps into a run. Yes, that's the that's the methodology of of bunting in softball, and it and it was that way for many years, and that's kind of all they did for offense for a long time. Luckily, the sport has progressed to a place now where you see actual athletes kicking ass, and not just a bunch of running out the box bunts, which got boring in about I don't know a minute and a half. Uh, now, oh, now, Sydney Sherrill, Sydney Sherrill hit four home runs this weekend after hitting four all season. That was, that was crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even know. There's not a ton of bunting as much as it's it's your you're you're running. You can't be out of the box when you hit it, but you're slapping at it, and they're called slap hitters. But you're slapping as it's the speed people. It's like Mudge at the top of the lineup. They're they're almost always lefties. You got to be lefties because you're that much closer to first. Out the box, yeah. And you just slap. You you are trying to ground the ball to the shortstop. And by the time you're out of the box, as long as you've timed it right, you'll be touching first base before the ball gets you there. But there aren't a ton of bunts. Uh, I don't think Florida State Florida State doesn't bunt a ton uh, much at all. And I think that's a lot out of the game. But mainly, you're trying to get a running start. I guess you could theoretically do it in baseball too. You try to get a running start, and as long as you're not out of the batter's box when you make contact, but you've, your your momentum is already going towards first, just put the bat on the ball and run. Yeah, Petro used to do it. Yeah, I was going to say, you see something akin to that in Japanese baseball, the swinging yeah. bunts or the drag bunts or whatever yeah. you want to call it from the left-handers, uh, left-handed batter's box. But it's just, you know, it's not the yeah. uh, the American style of baseball. And there is a reason, there is a reason that Jeff calls people slappies. Yes. And that's it. Yeah, Corey is slapping at it. He's explained it. That's the bunch of slappies that Jeff refers to in multiple sports. And it's also uh, terrible to watch. And if baseball was played like that and or softball, uh, I wouldn't watch it. It's awful. Uh, Troy writes, hi, fellas. It's obvious that Norvell and company know how to work the transfer portal. But how would you grade them in regards to developing talent on the roster? Some groups like receiver and tight end look like there is no development at all. Well, let's uh, tackle this. Uh Part of the problem you have is the clay you're working with on this roster. And so you can criticize recruiting in that regard. They have failed to bring in a talented uh, tight end. Or evaluating. Uh, you can criticize yeah, yeah. the evaluation aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, however you want to do it. Yeah. Uh, the bottom line is the tight ends on this roster, at best, your best player at tight end is a below average to average ACC tight end. The others behind that particular starting tight end all suck. So uh, that's the bottom line. They're not line. proven yet. They're, they're growing. They're growing. They're maturing. They're not there yet. They're not very good at all. So there's that. And at wide receiver, uh, I don't think Ron Dugans has done a good job. We all want Ron Dugans to do a good job. He's a knoll, and I remember him with nothing but great fondness, and I have no doubt his love and affinity for this program and his dedication to the craft. It's just that he's failing at his job. So – uh, at the end of the day, when you fail at your job, you get replaced. I think he's on the verge of being replaced. Uh, they better have a good season this year, or else he'll be coaching elsewhere, I do believe. Um, now, he does not have a ton to work with. They got a little unlucky. Uh, you brought in a proven guy in the Power Five, and he instantly, unfortunately, got into a, a, a car crash. And I don't know if he'll be available to you in Winston Wright this year. And then I think. Um, you know, luckily they do have Pittman, who I think is going to make an instant impact for them, so that helps. But they still don't have a, a depth of talent at that position. They're not going to dominate the ACC at the wide receiver spot. Yeah, I would. I would like to see the the guy the the best test case, the guinea pig for this class for that for the receiving core is Kentron Portier. 
Like, is he going to be something? Like, this is his third year on campus. I know his first year was a was a, a COVID, COVID year, but that he he's been here three years now, and there is a little bit to work with there. And I thought he had a pretty good spring. He yeah. he made some he made some flash plays in the spring. Is he going to be something? Or are all the guys going to be the guys that were here before Dugans, um, or got here through through the portal? Are those going to be like? Is he going to Malik McLean's another guy? I want to see those two guys take steps. And then maybe you start to believe, okay, they're starting to grow up and mature and they're being developed. If Portier and McLean are still, you know, 12 catches for 140 yards each and not really a factor, then, yeah, you have to start really, really wondering about the development. I'm sure most of you are already, but that would almost cement it. Like, okay, none of these guys are developing at a rate that you would want. Uh, Malik McLean's got – that's some clay to work with. Make him something. Yeah, he is. And he had a couple of sequences in spring where he said, that's it. But yeah. it's just it just wasn't that consistent. On the positive side, I'd say, actually, if you look at defensive back, they've done a pretty good job. It took longer than we wanted to last year. Obviously, you're going 0-4. But from that point on in the season, you saw a defensive back core that looked like they were just content to do their jobs and trust everybody else to be where they needed to be. A couple of examples, uh, Akeem Dent. I mean, Akeem Dent is now a fixture at safety, and he was somebody that fans were rightly screaming about through much of last season for effort plays or bad angles or what have you, he's been a much more solid player. Duke Cooper, I mean, he, he starts as a freshman, but that has to be development as well. you got to get a kid up to speed to be able to play in November of your freshman year. So there's a win there. I think there's going to be more examples with McCall and AZ Thomas in the near future. So And maybe Renardo Green, if he emerges as the other starter, then you have to give somebody credit on the staff for getting it out of him and, and summoning that ability out of him. And then the last one I'd say on defense is I don't know if you want to give this credit to Marv or you want to give this credit to Randy Shannon, but Kalen Deloach by the end of the season looked like a completely different linebacker than he was at the beginning of the season. So on defense, you've got a few guys that have developed some players. So it's not it's a, not an all or nothing thing. I think on the defense, there's some good stories. And I'm going to throw a caveat in real quick before we move on. I think for what Atkins has to work with, he does an amazing job. They, they, they have no business being able to run the ball with that group up front. Um, and they run the ball consistently well. His quarterback is a little inconsistent at hitting some open guys, especially in the middle of the field, in obvious passing downs. If he gets better, this offense will be better, and they do not have an elite offensive line. If this offense takes the step you want it to take, Corey, this year, and they are able to average just over 31 points and get to that place where they're winning football games because of the offense – Atkins will have had to have been lauded as an amazing coach. Now, I'd like him to, you know, continue to bring in high-caliber players uh, like you see in this last class. He's got to do that again because I think if you can get this out of the group you have, obviously with better clay, as I like to say, you're going to be uh, you're going to be trending towards elite up front. So, there's that. All right, next question. Uh, with the transfer portal coupled with NIL causing headaches in college football, I wanted to run this scenario by you. All players get five years, and once you commit to a school, you're committing for at least three years, with the opportunity to transfer only possible after the third year is completed. It's one of the only ways I see programs being able to have some sort of control and stability without kids just bouncing willy-nilly. What say you? Hashtag solid. I mean, I, I'm all for it. I, the one counter I'd say to it is your coaches don't have to do that. Your coaches can break contracts all the time. So why are the players going to be held to a higher standard than your coaches that are getting well, paid that's millions the, of dollars? That's the, that's the uh, caveat. That's where you say if, a, if your coach leaves that you committed to, then you have the right instantly to leave if you'd like as well. 
Well, right, but I mean, again, you they, they sign contracts and break them all the time. So would the school? I mean, what you, I, I just I don't understand the equity there of the the forty five year old getting to leave, but the nineteen year old who's not happy has to stay. Like I, I don't understand why that would why we would think that was fair. I mean, I know it's better for the sport and it's better for us as fans of the sport. But it's just that doesn't seem fair. Like there's a little you know, sense of, of of the way they do it in baseball that way, Corey, to some extent, right? Once you've once you're on campus, once you've committed, uh, yeah. you can tra- you can transfer. But we're talking about staying or going pro, right? And, and yeah, oh, oh, some similarities there. I think this is all geared towards people trying to figure out how to get control of the rosters and not having to worry about re-recruiting your own roster every damn year. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's always. A, a comeback to that and you're bringing up a good point it's it's like well wait a minute you know is that really fair i don't know what the right system is either do they obviously um at this point as we continue to get frustrated uh miles writes fellas when are we done playing all these slappies so that we can rack up some w's unlike uh like how we hate ending our football season in early september due to scheduling top 25 opponents i believe the baseball team should only schedule every top 25 team and tell them to come get this how far uh, do you, each of you think this team will go? All right, so he, he, this is in regards to baseball, and he is saying, you know, it's funny, schedule only top 25 teams. I agree with him on that, by the way. I would schedule the, the most difficult schedule any team could play in the country because you could go a game over 500 and make the postseason, and your RPI would still be high. Well, yeah, but you you also could lose, like, your some of your off your kids, like, in the middle, like, by the third week of the season because they're 0 for 26. Because they're facing the You're kid from Tennessee the wrong that's throwing. Kids, Corey. Well, true. Hey, you might, you might. <laughs> uh, no, I do think, man, there is something to be said for for winning some series. You want to get some wins under your belt. You don't want to be fourteen and nineteen. No matter, you might have the number one strength of schedule in the country. If you're fourteen and nineteen, you're not feeling good about your your season, and you're not guaranteed of a postseason spot. You need some automatic dubs. But I and and I think I like Meade's schedule this year. Stuff you. Cal, yep. I mean, that was cool. I liked that there were different kinds yep. of teams that came in. So I would more, I like more of that. And still, but the midweek, look, in the midweek, you got to play the teams from your state, most likely, or teams from driving distance. You just have to. Those midweek games are for those teams. It's for North Florida, for Stetson, for Jacksonville, for Mercer. Those are the mid, those are in every school does it. Tennessee plays the, the, the smaller schools in Tennessee. Kentucky plays the smaller schools in Kentucky. It's just how midweek works. Yeah, agreed. And I'd say that um, I like their chances. We talked about this earlier. I like their chances to go and, and get through a super regional more than a regional. So like that's that's the one you sweat because regionals tend to expose you if you don't have pitching depth. And unless they straighten out all those answers for the long man, the closer, and stuff like that, you could see where Florida State ends up in the loser's bracket pretty quickly. So if they can get out of a regional, though, I like their chances to get to Omaha. It's just that's a big if. So folks on the chat, and this will be the last of our questions, uh, asked if Dillingham was an overrated OC. You know, it's a funny question because depending on who you ask, you'll get very different answers. Uh, a lot of times uh, we get a sense behind the scenes from talking to people, players, other assistant coaches, people in the sport, what a guy is or is not, or what his reputation is. And, and Corey and Tom, I wonder if you agree with me, um, his was polarizing. Uh, there were people who really believed in the direction he was headed, really believe in who he is and his energy and, and what he can down the line be. Uh, they believe he's destined to be a head coach for sure. 
And there are others who think that he was a hindrance and that this is a much better uh, situation with uh, Atkins now taking over as OC and that he'll pair nicely with Norvell and those two will work well from a game plan standpoint. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I could, I could, I could make an argument both ways, but I know that that his reputation was pretty polarizing. I also think he was rated about right. I, I don't know that when he started here, people were like, Oh, we got the second coming. This is the next uh, Bill Walsh. This is a modern day Bill Walsh. He, I mean, I, I just think <laughs> there were, there were a lot of question marks about him and I feel, but rightly so he's young. He'd only been yeah. an OC for a real OC for one year at Auburn. And even then that was Malzahn's offense. Um, so, you know, he comes here and look, man, I think he, there's still question marks about who he is. I mean, we watched that offense the last two years. It had moments, and there were some, certainly some limitations placed upon him by the personnel. But you, were, you, you weren't wowed every week by the game plan. Now, you were wowed certain times, and you could see what they were trying to do. But there are a lot of OCs that are really smart, that know what they're trying to do. Some of them score more than 27 points, even with limited personnel. So... I think that I think we'll see we'll see much more about him because I feel like at Oregon it's going to be his offense, right? Going to be completely his offense. That's why he took that job. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I I'm really interested now. I think he has a little more to work with out there right now, especially up front. Um, what that looks like in two or three years, and I think we'll know what Kenny Dillingham is. I, I don't think any of us have a real good idea of just how good this guy is and what his ascension is, and if he's going to be a power five head coach within the next five years or not. This, this stint at Oregon will tell us everything. I think to put a, to put a ribbon on this, as we get wrapped up here, I'll just say that I do really love uh, the, the marriage of Atkins and Norvell. I think they see the game the same. Uh, Norvell loved Atkins when he brought him in and that relationship has grown. I, I actually think they have a chance to have a real symbiotic relationship for Corey and Tom. I'm Jeff. Thanks so much to director Matthew and all of you for watching and listening. Be well, everybody have a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Peace.